just your presence here. Thank you for what you're doing already. Thank you for what you've done. I pray that you continue to just be with us. Amen. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. I spoke last week a lot around building and what it means to actually build a life. The, the reality is that we're all trying to build a life that's that's built upon a rock. We're all trying to build a life that we believe in and that can stand and that can withstand the challenges of our own lives. It can withstand our own sinful tendencies. We're trying to build an eternity like that vagabond, that um, the tramp in Paris. We're trying to clean up and we're trying to, we're trying to pretend like we, we're in a good place. Um, and hopefully last week we saw a little bit of that actually our assurance is not based on what we're building. It's based on what Christ has built. But what we're building also is integral to this. Because there's something of this incredible story that because God does want to transform us. He does want to give us that 50 euros that actually we can be transformed. But he wants to give us so much more so we can be eternally transformed. And like literally, the last thing I wrote down, Ross and Lynn were laughing at me and I was making a note. And what can actually transform like a, a tramp and what can transform a king. Now, Amy's going to ruin this, but there's in a song, it's, it's like a, where kings and vagabonds can believe the very best. Yeah. Kings and vagabonds, like, where, where does that come from? There we go. I was just. Like laughing about it. I'm like, oh man, I, I know at least two people, specifically one, that was going to get there. Because it's just that like, I, you can feel the love like tonight. And it's like, it's something that comes in and transforms us so that actually we can believe the very best. Whether you're a king or whether you're a vagabond, like you can believe the very best. We can believe the very best of ourselves. We can believe the very best of each other. We can actually believe in each other. And no matter what like your past is, I can see a future for you. Yeah. No matter what the past, what you've done, no matter what yesterday was like, no matter what you keep going back to, no matter what the struggles are, I can still believe the very best. And it's because of what Christ has done for us. So it's like even the service being like, swapped around because Christ has done everything. Therefore we can respond because we've had communion. We can actually listen in a whole new way because we've seen God and we worship him. Therefore we can live differently. So I want to take a look at just some of the building projects through the Bible where it's like, if this is what God is asking us to build, he's asking us to build together. He's asking us to build a life that is worthy of him. And it sounds like 
outrageous and it sounds unattainable, but he wants to partner with us and he knows exactly how you're wired. He knows exactly where you have started from. You think of the parable of like the talents where it's one was given five, one was given three, one was given one. And he didn't come to them and say, oh, why didn't you do as much as the person that was given five? He asked you what you had done. He is the perfect judge. Yeah, and he's not looking for like, oh, where did you fail? He's looking at where you've succeeded. If he says, even if you've given a cup of cold water or a cup of water to anyone, he's like, it's, Jesus is almost on the lookout for where you've done well, not for where you've failed. And I think our default is it's like, oh man, he's going to see everywhere where I've messed up. It's like, no, it's like it's a parent looking for where you have done well. So you can actually bring positive affirmation. And I was listening back to the strange preacher that preached here last week and just listening to like why we build and we can incentivize it. We can say, actually, there's eternal rewards and it's true. There's, there's a life that's worth living. And we can be very like, we can focus on the judgment. We can focus on the, the consequences and there are consequences to us not living this life. There's going to be consequences in your life when you're not put the, when you're not following God. Jesus says, like, man, if you don't put this into practice, the storm's going to come and what you've built is going to like be flattened. Fortunately, in, like in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, actually, you're still going to be saved, but there's going to be a sacrifice and there's going to be consequences. You're going to be, you're going to get there one day and it's say like, hey, what have you done? It's like, actually messed up. And it's like, I, I can just imagine in that moment where it's like, I don't know, it's coming to a parent. It's like, it's, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> That, that's going to be, be God. It's like, ah, man, I'm not mad at you. But like, actually, there could have been so much more. And I can imagine, like, I, I'm going to feel that way. It's like, you know what? Actually, I could have done so much more. But because of that, I want to live as much as I can now. And the more I'm, I'm stepping into that, like, the less I'm concerned about that day. Because the more I understand God's heart is actually, man, you know what? You, you tried there and you tried there. It, it may have failed completely. But that's okay. You tried. It's, yeah. Um, I remember the, the, the day I think that changed my life probably the most was God grabbed hold of me and he brought me into church. And I remember driving home the one day and I, I was supposed to go to like a, a corporate prayer meeting. And it's like where the church all gets together and prays. And I was, you know what? I just want to go home and watch series. <laughs> and... That was, that was almost always my like, rest. I was like, ah, it's not, not the biggest thing in the world. And it's like, and, and I went home and watched series. And I woke up the next day and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I just so regret that. And I remember the next week and it's like, hey, should I go to the prayer meeting? And something switched in me where I just realized, you know what? I'm just going to say yes to Jesus. And to whatever I was a part of. It's like, even in the times where I, like, I know Hey, it, it may be more entertaining. It may be, I have complete grace and freedom and there is. But I, I understood in my heart, there was something changed where I was just going to say, yes, uh, I'm going to show up for whatever God's asking me to do. And for me, that was just saying yes to the church services that were on life group and to prayer. And for me, that was just like it, it, something switched in me. And I don't think my life was ever the same again. Because that indecision and that, like, should I go or should I not, was off the table. Yeah. Where it was just, I'm going. 
It wasn't that nobody forced me. No, there was no pressure. There was no like external force. There was no like fear. Like, hey man, if I wasn't there, I'm going to miss out. Sometimes I went and it was still boring and it sucked and like I got nothing out of it. And, but because that, that change had happened in me, it changed the trajectory of my life. And for all what it's worth, this is, that's what made me who I am today. Those, some of those decisions is what made me who I am today. Um, so I was thinking about last week where it's like, man, we can incentivize you, you living and pursuing and helping build a church and we can scare you into it. But I don't think that's going to last. It's not guilt. It's not just reward. It's not incentivizing. It's actually when we see Jesus and what he's doing, then we start understanding where our, our part comes in. We understand how our gifts form what God is doing and start to partner with him and start to take shape. So I want to look at just some of the building projects. And I was thinking, what's the first building project we've got? We've got Genesis 11. It's not the fun one. It's where, so it's the Tower of Babel. Where man, like they, they all get together and they say, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, not to be scattered over the face of the earth. And there was something of the ability that because they were on the same page, they spoke the same language. They're like, actually, we together here. And there's something powerful when there's actually unity in a group that keeps you together. There's a shared bond and we can achieve something powerful together. So if we can get on the same page with our language and our vision, we can achieve something. The downside of that is it's so easily can become what we are going to do. We're going to make a name for ourselves. The, the message in the Tower of Babel is actually to hear, like, how do we partner with God holistically? It's like to actually glorify Him. Because our, our, our name, our, like, our man-centered nature is there's almost a default where it's like, hey, let's get together. Let's build something because then we will make a name for ourselves. And there's a temptation to do that in church where it's like, hey, I'm going to force us all to be on the same page so we all believe the same. And that's one way to do it. But there's different generations here. There's different backgrounds. There's different beliefs. And I want to say there's actually this space for us to disagree here. There's space for you to disagree with me because I've said it before. One of my favorite like theologians in the world, he says like at least 10 to 20% of his theology is wrong. He just doesn't know which 10 to 20%. And if he says that for me, like at least 21% of my theology is right. <laughs> yeah, at least 21%. I can't say more than that, but like I'm, I'm trying. So there may be places where we can disagree, but we, we focus on Christ and we united around Christ and we can disagree on the debatable things, but we need to learn to actually be in a community where it's like we're united around something far greater than ourselves, where it's not just our opinion and we don't have to all have the same perspective. We don't have to have all the same style in music or the same style in choice in coffee or it's fine. We can disagree and our diversity becomes an incredible strength. The world doesn't know how to, like they, they make an idol out of diversity, but there's no diversity of thought and opinion and belief because we all have to be unified around the fact that like 
diversity is the ultimate. But diversity of like expression is beautiful when it is united around truth. And then, but the fact that we've lost truth and the, the, the truth being Christ, we, we, we like, we've lost the way to actually be unified around anything. Because we have to be unified around something that's far greater than what we disagree about. Yeah. So this is a journey. We're a small church. This is, it allows us the ability to actually differ on a lot of things as long as we're united around the important things. So the second building project is the tabernacle. This one you guys should know because we've done this a couple of times. Exodus 31. See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stone, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. It's the first man that gets filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible is Bezalel. It's, a, it's an artisan. It's a man who works with his hands. He is gifted with his hands. He's gifted in skill and ability. And Stephen, I was thinking of you when I, when I was thinking about this. You're a man that's gifted and skilled with his hands and he can make things. And it's, but the beauty is that when you are filled with the Spirit, God comes and he anoints everything you do so that you can create the tabernacle, which is a recreation of the garden where the presence of God can come. And you can partner with God, like with man, in a way that we were like designed for. Humanity was designed to be the image of God. We always talk about man is created in the image of God. You, you can also translate that man was created as the image of God. In any temple, it was designed like, and the, the pinnacle of the temple was the image of God. Like, would show you what that God was like. The tabernacle didn't have that because man was supposed to be. The image of God. Because it would, would show the way that God worked. We know that we, we've fallen far from that. But we have still designed in a way to show the complex nature of God. That we can be loving and gracious and kind. And all in like human form. Where we can actually understand it and be, uh, be embodied. So that people can see. So in the second like building project where we're building the tabernacle it was a mobile temple where god could actually move with us wherever we went god would move while wherever god went like we would follow and the temple like the tabernacle was what housed the presence of god and then eventually the next building project is actually building the temple where david has it on his heart where he's like oh man i want to build a temple for god In 1 Chronicles 22, David said to Solomon, My son, I had it on my heart to build a temple, uh, build a house for the name of the Lord. It's completely different to like Genesis 11, where it's like, hey, we're going to build something for our name. It's like, I'm going to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name. Because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. 
and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. And David desperately wanted to build the temple to make this house for God, but he wasn't allowed to because he was a man of war, because he had shed blood. But his son, one day there would be a son that came from him. And it's, it's partly Solomon, but it's also pointing to Jesus. Because there would one day be a man of peace that would come and establish this temple, the tabernacle, and make it an eternal thing. So we, we're part of this like building project that actually is going to create a presence of God that is going to be like we've spoken about it before, that this is going to be a house of prayer for all nations to bring peace upon the earth. That actually this is going to be a place where people can find peace. When they step through those gates, we've heard this as like a testimony, where actually they're feeling peace. That's not because this property is special. It's not because this house is special. But it's because the people that are like inhabiting it, especially on a Sunday, is making it a place of peace for people. Where you're coming in and you're tormented and you, you're worried about the future and you don't know where to come and you, you, you're wrestling with your family and you're fighting. This is a place of peace. Because we can find God here. And that's what God is wanting to build. It's actually, this is a place of peace. And then they build the temple. And it's this majestic building. And then it gets destroyed. And then there's a, there's a rebuilding of it. So in Ezra 3, they relay like the foundations. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. Because the foundation of the house was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites... And family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. While many others shouted for joy. So it's like the Israel people, Israelites had been exiled from their temple and it had been destroyed. And now it's like miraculous where they had actually been allowed to go back and rebuild. And then they, they lay this foundation and the shouts of joy. It's like, yes, we're finally getting our temple back. And the people that had seen the previous temple said, like, this is the temple? Like, to the point where they were weeping. This is not, this is nothing like what it used to be. Because God had planned another greater temple. And that's the church. It's like, he, they, they wept, the priests wept because it wasn't what it was supposed to be. It's like, it wasn't its former glory. But that's because God was actually designing a greater temple that would be us that would fill, like be filled with the Spirit and actually be the, the ambassadors to, to be the presence of God. Which, like the temple is supposed to be the place that connects heaven and earth. It's like the place where we can understand that vision of perfection, heaven, and the brokenness of the world, and the place where God meets us. That's supposed to be us. That's supposed to be the church. And that's not just on a Sunday, but actually we get to take this out. The, the amazing thing is that the idea of the temple in the New Testament is used twice. Once about the church and once about our bodies. Where it's true that we are the temple, like the, the church is, is the temple. But actually your body is the temple of God. Because wherever you go, you're taking the Spirit of God and it allows anyone to actually touch heaven in a sense when they meet you when you can embody what god has called you to so every everything in me 
you guys know, if you've been here a while, Acts 2.42 is like my verse for church. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I think that's, that's just a description of what church should be like when we get together. There's, there's teaching involved and there's fellowship and there's breaking of bread, there's communion and there's prayer. And I think it's, it's beautiful. We see that in every meeting that we have here. But everything in me is looking at it and saying, like, will you devote yourselves to this? How do I get people to devote themselves, God? I want this to be a devotion of your hearts. Like, last week I was thinking, like, trying to describe it. Like, what's important in a building project? What's important in building? And you have to have that foundation. You have to have that assurance of your relationship with God. But then you have to have the blueprint. You have to have a vision of what we are building. And that's the kingdom and the church and this big vision. But then there's also just like there's a construction time. Where it's like you actually have to build on the foundation according to the blueprint. And if you, so you can have the best blueprints in the world. And you can have the perfect foundation. If you mess up the construction, it like you're not going to have the finished product. And that's I think Jesus' words where it's saying like actually will you hear my words and put them into practice. It's not a guilt trip. It's not like you're trying to perform to, to earn your way to God. But in light of what I've shown you will, you, will you devote yourself? And everything in me is trying to say, like, okay, how do we incentivize this? And how do we, how do we like, remember like, the concern? Remember what you might miss out on? And remember this incredible thing we're going towards? And I just felt God saying that, that won't sustain you. It won't sustain anyone. I can't guilt trip you into it. I can't incentivize you into a life of devotion because it's, and they devoted themselves. It has to be an overflow of your heart. And the reason why, you go back to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And it's just that picture of actually Jesus is Lord and Christ. He is Lord, so he is in charge. That Lord is just, it's like, sir, it's you're the one that is in charge. And Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who would be filled with the Spirit, the one who would come and he would be the anointed one. It was the, the, the person that Israel was waiting for to come and set them free. We, we know, we've heard it before that the Messiah was the promised one. The king was something of the anointed one because he was God's representative. But Jesus was the anointed one. And when we see him as Lord and Christ, that stirs in our hearts, what do we do? That's the only vision that I've got. It's like, I can't, I can't do anything else. I can just say, you know what? Jesus is what we hold up here. 
Jesus as Lord and Christ. And when we see that, then we can't help but say, what do we do? And we say, repent, be baptized, be immersed in the name of God, be immersed in the truth of God, be immersed in the teachings of God, be immersed in the fellowship. You don't have to believe everything right away. You don't have to perform all everything right away. You don't have to understand fully right away. You don't have to understand what your gifts are and what you will do and how you will add. You don't have to come and serve. You don't have to do anything, but you get to come and just be a part of what we are doing here and what God is doing. Immerse yourself in the church. And as we do that, we trust that God would just captivate us. And that would overflow in devotion. And we will devote ourselves to teaching, to truth, to understanding. So that together we will learn and take that 21% and hopefully make it 22. And trust that God continues to lead us and grow us. And we will learn to actually fellowship. And that's it's like a fancy Christian word for actually friendship, getting to know each other. Genuinely being there for each other, brothers and sisters, and learning to actually bear each other's burdens and carry each other's problems and be there for each other. And, and it's not always going to be what you want, unfortunately. It's going to take you stepping out and reaching out and loving and loving and loving. And it's like, but they don't love me back the same way. It's like, yeah, maybe you're ahead of them. So you need to help. And in breaking of bread, we are going to break bread together in communion and we're going to eat together. And we're going to eat together and dinners together. And maybe we won't always have lunch together on a Sunday, but maybe we will. Generally, always we're going to have lunch on a Sunday so we can do it with each other. It doesn't always have to be at church. And we're going to pray. I feel like God is stirring us as a church specifically to pray. And... I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but it's going to be prayer on Wednesdays and it's going to be prayer before the service. The granny says she's starting a pre-service prayer meeting. and But God wants to teach us to pray, not because we have to, but because prayer changes situations and it changes us. And God wants to teach you to trust in prayer again. If, you, if you've gone through a stage where it's like, actually, prayer seems so formulaic and it seems so forced, I pray that God would actually break open your prayer life, that we realize the privilege of actually communicating with God and believe that He can change situations and He can bring healing and He can bring transformation in whatever your struggles are. Justin is sitting here as an answer to prayer. So Lord, I, I pray that you would, you would open our eyes. I feel like a whole next series that we're going to go into is going to be what next? Okay, what next? Open our eyes to what you are asking of us. Open our eyes to what is possible. Open our eyes to the vision that you have for our life, for our futures. Open our eyes to what you want to do, God. I pray that you would stir in us a deep desire for more of you. Let that 
be accompanied by discontent with the, the way that life is at the moment. We all can look around and be frustrated with the state of the country and the state of our lives. But God, let us turn to you and say, God, do something about it. We cry out to you that you would transform us, revive us again, restore us, bring restoration, bring revival, at least in our own hearts. Transform our lives, transform our marriages, transform our very hearts and our natures, Lord. Stir in us something that we've never had before or something that we've lost. Lord, I pray for the guys that have gone through tough seasons in the last little while, the last few years. Restore to them the joy of your salvation, Lord. In that joy, there's strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But Lord, restore the joy of our salvation. You might be going through what seems like the dark night of the soul, where you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, but you want God more and you You yearn for more, but you don't have the strength and you don't have the capacity to even try harder. I pray that in those moments you'll realize that God is busy with you. He has not left you. He is drawing you into greater maturity. It's something we all go through in life. I thank you for the beautiful church that you're building here, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to just have patience with each other. I pray that there would be incredible grace, that people would have patience with us. That we're quick to to want grace when we've messed up, but we're slow to to have grace for each other. Help us to be a a community that is saturated by your love. It's your love that can transform kings and vagabonds. It's your love that can actually transform us to say, what do we do now? And one to actually repent and be transformed. And therefore, devote ourselves. Devote ourselves to your truth. Devote ourselves to your church. Devote ourselves to just you, Jesus. Devote ourselves to prayer.